a solid attempt to get to the truth of all things. Welcome, my mere mortalites, to another round of the Mere Mortals book reviews. My name is Kyron, and I do these reviews for those who want to transcend beyond their own mere mortality to get deeper into the philosophical books, maybe that they're reading, into the treatises that they're reading, and maybe even to the meditation practices. Indeed, we do have Meditations on First Philosophy by Rene Descartes. Uh, this book was published in 1641, and it's about 60 pages in length. If you can see the video, uh, it is extremely short. Um, It's a philosophical treatise designed to prove the existence of God. So he really came into this with an explicit purpose. I'm going to make the non-believers believe. And so he does this through six meditations, and I'll be covering those in a bit of depth soon. This is an examination mostly of his own mind to find truth. So he's really trying to distill what is truth. And he has some really great analogies, some practical examples of how truth, although it might seem rock solid when you get deeper into it, oh, you know what? How are my senses playing differently in a dream? I could have sworn they were that was the truth, that was real then. So he talks about matter, he talks about senses, he talks about what are ideas, uh, and he gets into some more even deeper things like arithmetic and, and uh, how different ideas play differently and how you can be more sure of some than you can be of others. So why is this book important and who was Rene Descartes? Well, he is known as the father of modern philosophy. So he really wrote some amazing things. Most of you will know the quote, cogito ergo sum, or I think therefore I am. Uh, This isn't contained exactly within this book but man that principle that idea is flows throughout from almost the very first page so uh, he really is um, sort of preaching (laughs) his his core philosophy i guess the this book actually came from a period of deep reflection and um, of of serious writing and it it really does just try and distill his his main philosophy, his thoughts, I guess. And so uh, this, the translation itself in particular, so that it was originally written in Latin. I have the translation by Donald A. Cress, the third edition. Um, and so he d- translated this directly from the rat- Latin, uh, unlike most of the other translations of this, which actually come from a translation in a French and then a translation from the French version. So, uh, you know, we're skipping out one translation with this one, which is good. I'm going to jump onto their theme and normally with the themes, you'll see, ah, oh, Karen's like looking at something a little bit deep, deeper beneath the surface perhaps, but not nah, today I'm going straight in. We're just going to dive right into the six meditations, the philosophical demonstration of God. So I'm going to read them out just one by one as I, as I come across them and I'll even um, say the page number from, from this particular version. So the first one begins on page 13 and I just call this doubt. And so this is meditation one concerning those things that can be called into doubt. This is where he really tries to start off. Okay, what, what can I be sure of? And he provides the example of sleep. I, I could have sworn out those things I was imagining, well, that were in my brain were real, but my senses were deceiving me. And so suppose that God or perhaps an evil genius or an evil demon or something like that is deceiving me. Um, that's that's where I'm going to start off with. So I'm going to start off with a, a point of skepticism, almost the doubting part. I need to be sure of what it is that uh, I'm actually believing and seeing and and thinking and feeling. Uh, Okay, imagine something is really trying to deceive me. How can I find out what is the base layer of reality? 
So this is where we go on to meditation number two on page 17, which is concerning the nature of the human mind that is better known than the body. So this is just sort of the I section. So he's, uh, this is where he comes up with the, the thing that he's, he's not a thinking, he's not a body, sorry, but he's a thinking thing. And that's the direct translation, or at least in this book. He's a thinking thing. And so this is where he's really getting into the uh, I think, therefore I am sort of part of it, where it's I can only be sure of the that that my mind is here, that something is happening. I I can't be sure that this water bottle I'm holding up is real, that this matter, because I could be dreaming or I could be in a coma or I could, uh, you know, in, in the modern day, we would say, oh, I could be in a virtual reality. I could be in a uh, alternate parallel universe. I could be in the matrix, any of these number of things. But what I can be sure of is that something is happening, that I can, there is a sort of consciousness, that there is an I. So uh, he also has a comparison in here to melting wax for changes and talking about how, how is a wax, which is a solid object, uh, you melt it and you would still say it's wax, but it principal properties of it has changed. And so how can you describe that one thing is a thing as well? We then go on to the third meditation. So he's he's very doubtful at the start. Then he's found, okay, I can base some sort of rock solidness on the fact that something is happening, even though I can't base it on the things that are around me per se. So on page 24 is where he goes into his third meditation concerning God, that he exists. So this is really... I would say talking about causality for the most part. So this is where he comes up with uh, three classes of ideas and I'll read those out to you um, so you can get a, a feel for it. So he says, among these ideas, some appear to me to be innate, some adventitious and some produced by me. For I understand what a thing is, what truth is, what thought is, and I appear to have derived this exclusively from my very own nature. But say I'm now hearing a noise or looking at the sun or feeling the fire. Up until now, I judged that these things proceeded from certain things outside of me. And finally, that sirens, hippogriffs and the like are made by me. Or perhaps I can even think of these things as being adventitious or as being innate or as fabrications, for I've not yet clearly ascertained their true origin. So yeah, he, has, he comes up with three classes of ideas. The one which is innate to him, it, it sort of comes from within. Another, which is uh, coming from without, that is from the senses. And then this sort of third one, which is, uh, it's like made up by him. So uh, it's kind of hard to, to wrap your head around. To, and there's some sources that I'll link it to at the end or talk about at the end, which you can um, uh, understand this a little bit better. But basically it comes in this section to the idea that, okay, there's these three classes of ideas. Uh, one of these I can be rock solid of, which is the the things that are innate. So I'm not, I'm not making them up. They're not coming from me from the outside. They're, they're, they're just within me. There's no escaping them. And this is where he starts making the case for God. And in particular, he bases this argument on causality. When something happens, there is, you know, uh, I think it's the it's one of the laws of, of physics or, or thermodynamics, something like that. You know, equal each action has a equal and opposite reaction sort of thing. So um, something has to be derived from somewhere. So uh, the you know I sneezed, it had to be of caused because of something you know in my nose tickling me or, or whatnot. Uh, the this this thing is moving through space. It had to be because of gravity. Um, and what is pushing is also pulling, et cetera, et cetera. So it's always saying that there, there's a causality. There always has to be something that 
comes from from something else, I guess. So this is when we get into uh, the fourth, and this is on page 35, if you're following along. And so meditation four, concerning the true and the false. And so this is error in particular that he's, he's really examining there. So he's really trying to, uh, he asks a question to himself sort of, which is how can there be true and false? Um, and this is where he's really starting to push the arguments for God a lot more. So this is where he's saying, okay, you know, there's a, a causality to things. And therefore, you know, if you go all the way back, there must be a God, which is the the starter, the principle. This is where everything originated from. Uh, and if this is the case, why isn't everything perfect? Why aren't, why didn't God, if God is, you know, all knowing, all understanding, all good, why is, is there bad things in the world, essentially? Things like that. And he, he really is sort of... Hmm, putting this in a, uh, a a different box, an analogy, I guess you could call it, and not saying why is there bad things, but why is there truth and false? Why is there error? And because that's sort of where he's deriving bad things from. And so a couple of the arguments is um, he has limited understanding. So if he could understand things, he could understand the whole network and see, oh, okay, God has created it this way uh, and it is in its entirety perfect. Uh, free will he's been given free will yet this comes with a price and that price is you know some bad things are going to happen uh error essentially is the absence of what is correct is is the kind of final outcome that he comes to which is um error isn't a isn't a thing in of its own it's a it's a lacking of something and this might seem like pedantic might seem like a subtle difference but uh, when you're getting into theology and things like this, uh, these these type of arguments uh, make a big deal. They they matter. So we're skipping now onto page 42 for the fifth meditation, which is meditation five concerning the essence of material things, and again concerning God that He exists. <laughs> so He's coming back to God again. So this is more proof. He's really showing in this section. Okay, there's certain ideas uh, that are just immutable they're 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 rock solid and it doesn't matter if my senses are trying to deceive me or that an evil demon or an evil genius is trying to deceive me some of the ones that he provides as examples are a triangle for example so the in a dream or in real life or no matter where it is in you know metaphysical made-up land a triangle is always going to have 180 degrees there's there's no possible way outside of this and so he sort of uses this as an analogy for why the idea of God is just as certain. And so he tries to relate these two things. And once again, just trying to provide more proof to the unbelievers to, to really nail at home. And then we come to meditation number six. So this is on page 47. And this is concerning the existence of material things and the real distinction between mind and body. So yeah, this is the mind and body section, I guess, which is he's saying they are distinct things so there's the mind um this which is encased within a body but what happens in here is is kind of distinct from the body the material physical atoms they're they're kind of they're separate things uh, he also says though they co-mingle so <laughs> a bit of annoying kind of like a fence-sitting type behavior that you know i'm impressed i, I like fence-sitters uh so, and he provides some examples for this as well saying how thirst and pain and things like that, they, there's, it's kind of like a real nuanced part, but it's, it's where he's going to say that 
the thirst is a uh, you know a physical body bodily thing it is triggered by certain aspects in let's just say the real world or in the sense world but if we dive deeper into the mind and we have a look at how thirst behaves and what is the idea the concept of thirst this is where he's saying this is more like a, a mind thing sort of separate from the body uh comes up with some other arguments the body is divisible the mind is indivisible really trying to point out how they are two different things uh and you know the this section i i wouldn't say is particularly in line with the proving of god part um although i'm sure i've I've misread something or something like that and it was integral because he spent a lot of time on this book and and it wasn't uh i'm, I'm sure he didn't include a meditation six just to flesh it out a bit more <laughs> you know so uh this is probably the part where i'm starting to to slip away a little bit and this gets me right into the observations and takeaways so uh i was going to say this at the end but I'll, I'll bring it right now the the clearness the clarity of of what he's saying the my understanding of it went from okay bang on i know exactly what you're talking about in the first meditation the second meditation uh, it's starting to slip a little bit the third fourth okay I, I kind of get it but this is where i noticed myself kind of getting a little bit bored not understanding some things as clearly as i did before and then we get into fifth and sixth and it's uh, it's not gibberish but it's it's not as understandable as the first part now i don't want to blame any of this on the translation or even even particularly the writing itself so uh, I've covered this before in some books like uh, Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations or The Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes, those real old English books. They can be very difficult to read and it's due to the actual language itself. Words have changed meaning over time and the the understanding that I can get as a you know, 2020 English speaker is very different than what perhaps a... 1900s english speaker could reading the same works this i wouldn't say is the case for this book i feel like the translation is is pretty modern day language um, it's not written in the style that you would see normal books nowadays so the sentences go on a little bit longer he uses commas in different ways and things like that but in terms of readability i think it's fantastic i think it's it's uh, a wonderfully readable it is just the ideas and the concepts that he's talking about I feel they start to get a little bit looser and he starts adding in more things which aren't that rock solid base of this is the core understanding. I think therefore I am. And as he adds more stuff in, I, I start to uh, drift away. I've, I found it harder to comprehend. So the underlying start point was to prove God's existence as well. So he really started off the book with a something that he wanted to achieve. And I think that kind of conflicts with finding the truth um so i think you it's almost like um when i was reading the myth of sisyphus the thing that albert camus started with was there's only one question and that's like to to whether to commit suicide or not and the the idea kind of behind that i think was i'm going to follow the truth and really examine whether life is worth living and I, don't, I can't speak for him. I don't know if he would have done this or not, but the implication there is if it's not, I, and I logically cannot think of any other way 
or even emotionally why life is worth living, I should commit suicide. That's the morally right thing to do. This I think is is kind of comparable in that he's really is is trying to find the truth no matter what, but he also explicitly states, you know, I'm trying to prove God's existence at the same time. And I, I'm not sure those two ideas, those those two processes can be really melded together like this. I, I, I think like you should do, you should do one or should, you should do the other, but it's it's kind of corrupting of both of them to to do it this way. Um, and how does he say that? Well, in the preface and even to the introduction to the reader, he talks about why uh, he's he's oh, sorry the letter of dedication I should say to um, the the person he originally wrote this for and, and to because this was back in the day of you know politics uh, writing politics in the sense that you needed a patron. And the patron would would you know promote your works and and talk about you in the high exalted circles, and then this would spread out your works and things like that. I'm sure there's politics nowadays, but it's a little bit different. It's more companies rather than individuals. So yeah, I was just kind of iffy on on that aspect of of his starting point for why he was writing the book and those those two um, sections. On terms of has it convinced me to believe in God? Not particularly. Uh, I felt that there was some arguments, sort of logical, scientific arguments that could be made and also the ability that we have of some other things uh, in some ways prove his points, i.e. the senses. You know, he, he they didn't have a uh, the idea of the matrix back then. They didn't have the idea of, um, you know, artificial intelligence and, and things like that and multiple parallel universes and, and things like this and black holes and how weird atoms can behave and quarks and, and stuff like that, which I think proves this point. There's, it's almost like the more we learn, the, the less reliable we can, can say like, yeah, this is a book, you know, this is wood. <laughs> I know how wood behaves. And then you get down to the very, uh, you know, bottom, smallest atomic structure of it. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so that kind of helped. But I think in some other ways in terms of, his causality arguments, for example. Um, I, I believe that there's things that can just happen, like atoms can randomly pop up in other places in the universe without a particular reaction, um, a, a causal effect to it. My understanding of science could be wrong there, but the the reasons for believing in God became too tenuous for me. I, I couldn't I couldn't understand. I couldn't see how the idea was so immutable that it had to can only come from within. Like if, if, you know, the Bible had never been written you and you followed his, his method, you would still come to the idea of God anyway. I can't particularly see it. Um, and you know, why, why the, the Christian God, why wouldn't it be the, you know, the, the Islamic God or the, um, you know, any of the number of gods in, in, in Hinduism and, and things like that. So didn't particularly convince me, but uh, I did enjoy the attempt. <laughs> and the final one, the final recommendation almost is, I think reading this with a resource like Wikipedia is pretty damn fantastic because Wikipedia, it's a huge article on there, almost <laughs> almost like the length of the book. Uh, and yet it it provides examples of what he's talking about, puts it in even more 
modern day English and sort of examine it. It just it just has a a way of fleshing out some of the ideas and made it a bit more clear to me what uh, Rene Descartes was was really trying to do uh, with with his works and in particular the fifth, fourth, fifth, and sixth, which is where I was starting to get. Uh, a little bit hazy on on what he was actually talking about there. So, in summary, for a short old book, it certainly packs a lot of punch. Uh, not only were the ideas clear and brilliant, but it was easy to read as well, which is f- fantastic for an old book. It's so hard to find that. The lots of nice examples and analogies contained within. It hasn't convinced me of God's existence, but uh, it's shown a very intriguing mode of thinking of a way of processing and uh, examining deep into yourself. I really liked his his method, I should say. On its own, I wouldn't say it's amazing, but combined with some modern resources as well, particularly to understand those last parts, it, it it's a solid, it's a really solid book. Uh, and I only wish it was a, a bit longer, to be honest. So I would give it, I'm going to give it like a five and a half out of 10, uh, Meditations on First Philosophy by Rene Descartes, just if you're reading the book itself. But if you're adding some extra resources like I did with Wikipedia, with uh, you know a blog or two, uh, you can bump that up easily by a couple of points because the, the core principle of what he was trying to do and his method of thinking, I, I think is really, really fantastic. I really enjoyed that. And that's it for today, my mere lads. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on... Meditations on First Philosophy by Rene Descartes. Have you read this book before? Have you followed his method of uh, doubt, the curiosity, looking at yourself, causality, God? Are you convinced of God's existence because of this book? I would love to know all of these things. Best way to do that is to send me a boostergram. So a boostergram is a, a message with a payment of Satoshi's attached to it. This is a value for value podcast. I provide all of this for free. You don't have to give back if you don't want to, but I do really appreciate it. It helps to cover some of the costs of producing this stuff for my time. And I really just enjoy the feedback that comes back uh, in these boostergrams. It really does make me feel good and uh, provide some interesting insights, which I haven't thought of before. So best way, easiest way to do that would be to get the Fountain app, but you can go to a whole bunch of different ones. If you go to newpodcastapps.com, there's a whole list of there of, of ones which you can use for value. And uh, yeah, swing me a boostergram, tell me how right or wrong I am. And um, I really do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Karen out.